And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. are rounding out our week it is thursday it is the first day of halloween month a lot of people are already got their decorations out and they're celebrating the entire month i don't know why but okay that's fine welcome everyone and thank you for joining us jason hutt here in the studio we are live from the bunker and I have been called the hardest working man in YouTube. I don't think that's quite true. 30 years as a professional broadcaster, back in my element, hanging behind the microphone, and talking with guests is, uh, is a thing that I enjoy doing and I'd like to do more of. So if you have suggestions for guests that live within the science fiction, fantasy, or horror space... Uh, send us your suggestions, the email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And on this day, just to, uh, just to note, speaking of radio, on this day in 1982, the first commercial CD player was released by Sony. And this is also the first day that NASA went, uh, went live in 1958. If that doesn't, uh, if that doesn't make you feel old. I remember... In 1988, I was working uh, college radio when we got our first CD players in the studio. We thought everything was so cool back then. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> speaking of cool, let's talk, uh, bringing our guest here, Mr. Mike Murphy. He is the co-founder of Chibi Comics and the creator of several uh, comics projects including samurai and dinosaurs and his latest one deep well the caliber of death and then we're going to talk about that here in a minute good afternoon sir how are you doing good how are you man I'm thanks for having good. me on yo thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk with us it's it's always good to get uh, fresh voices and and there are a lot of those that are now in the in the indie comics space so uh, i figured we could talk to to some different people there so Chibi Comics. Let's start That's with us. the let's start with the name because that doesn't quite invoke a mental image that goes with the kind of comics that you <laughs> that you put sure. together. So where'd that come from? And let's start there. Yeah. Uh, so okay, technically, uh, Chibi Comics has existed since the early two thousands. Uh, you know, it began when uh, my wife and I first met back towards the tail end of our time in college uh we went to the american academy of art in chicago uh, it's where the i mean when you think of like famous illustrations it's where the the quaker oat guy went uh it's where uh the guy that did like the the polar bears for coca-cola uh the mortal Kombat guys alex ross uh it was a big art school in chicago right um so you know we met there and eventually uh, a company that i was trying to build with a couple friends kind of uh came crashing down all around me and you know uh, my wife and i decided like hey why don't we just um why don't we just head out to the west coast and uh make comics and so we needed a name and her her cat at the time was named chibi 
and uh, it was, you know, like a cute little black cat. And so we just went with Chibi Comics. We figured it worked because at the time we were mostly just publishing mini comics. And mm -hmm. so, you know, like Chibi being Japanese for small or tiny, um, we just kind of ran with it, but didn't think of like the long term, you know, <laughs> ramifications. Right. So, so, so now I, I guess maybe some of the divisions would end up being Chibi Max, Chibi X, Chibi Dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We um, we 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 tried like we messed around with the idea of like creating like a like a Vertigo line, you know, like uh, it was called a Maduro, which was uh, I believe Spanish for mature. Mm. Uh, but that didn't really stick because, you know, we showed that around to some people and they're like, no, you're you're cheapy comics. What are you doing? <laughs> so, so we're we're just kind of stuck with it. Yeah. So let's let's talk for a minute here. The the comic that you've got right now in demand. Let's start there. It's called Deep Well, the Caliber of Death. It's been in mm -hmm. demand here now for a little while. Yeah, uh, you've uh, you've gone over goal. Congratulations. Thank you. And as I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at the material that's here. I'm looking at some of the pa the pages and the artwork. Uh, I'm getting um, I'm getting a shadow vibe in the old west, kind of with this, uh, with the 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 silver. What is it? What are we calling him? The the silver uh, the, ghost, the gray the ghost, the gray the gray devil, the gray devil. All right. I've only had yeah, two cups um, of coffee, so. All right. Oh, it's it's all good, man. Uh, <laughs> you're two cups ahead of me, so no, you're doing great. But I get a I get more a feeling something similar to the shadow. So I'm wondering this set in the West, and uh, it's it looks just on the face of it mm -hmm. pretty violent. Um, it is. is yes. Was there a particular? influence inspiration for this particular story because you've got you've got some other stuff that aren't westerns this is is this your first western story that you're putting out or it is yeah um i mean in, in terms of uh genre there there's this quote that i always use from guillermo del toro uh he always says uh, i'm a glutton for entertainment and i'm kind of the same way so when it comes to like what I I'm interested in and what I want to write about, I'm, I'm all over the place, man, but this is our first Western. So who are your influences? You mentioned Guillermo del Toro. You, you talk about some of the guys that were at the school where y'all went, Alex Ross and, and such. Are you influenced by any particular style in terms of writing and art? Are you doing both or you're just writing and you have the art from somebody else? Um, well, I mean, I'm it, when it comes to our comic work, I'm predominantly just a, a writer and we hire, you know, outside artists as basically freelance contractors. Um, but, you know, like my my day job is I'm a freelance writer, illustrator. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I did go to school for it. Uh, so, you know, like I, I do a lot of graphic design stuff like greeting cards and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like that doesn't that doesn't leave much time to actually work on comics. So and plus. Like I found that I ultimately enjoyed writing more than drawing. I mean, like the artists that we're working with are like leaps and bounds, like better than me in terms of just raw, pure talent. Um, I, I guess in terms of influence, uh, it, it would be mostly film, although, you know, like 
comics have been a part of my life since i mean like the first thing i ever drew was superman uh it was just a, a smiley face and an s with like two twigs and like two you know a b and a d for legs um but yeah so you know in terms of influences i mean you know uh grant morrison uh, nolan tarantino uh scorsese i mean just like if you rattled off like whatever you would think of in terms of influences for like a big film nerd or a big comic nerd, like people like those have probably influenced me to one degree or another. Sure. Are, are there particular types of stories that you want to tell over others? Because I'm seeing a lot because I'm seeing uh, samurai and dinosaurs, uh, the gods fear me. I'm seeing some science fiction here, some, some, western some horror are are you in a particular space in terms of what kinds of genres you want to stay in or is it just whatever wherever the story is that's where you are well uh so for for the next i'd say maybe three years um you know when we when we made the decision to hop over to focusing on crowdfunding and you know building up this new audience um I, I put together, it, going back to someone like Tarantino, I put together a list of about 10 projects, you know, that because he has his famous, like, I have 10 movies that I want to make that I'm going to quit. I put together 10 books that I would want to make uh, no matter what. And in terms of genre, they are all over the place. Um, you know, like our next thing that we're doing in February is going to be a a big superhero title but um there's going to be some recurring genres i i guess if i had to narrow it down um like it would kind of be in the sci-fi and horror you know genre like that's where i'm going to play the most in but you know like deep well is our big western uh this this book which is going to be called the red key uh next year is going to be our big superhero book so I kind of wanted to make sure that I touched on at least once or twice, like everything that like I, I dearly, dearly care about. So you say when when we talked about it and when we decided to go into crowdfunding, that discussion, mm -hmm. what were some of the factors? What were you what were you all looking at? And I'm assuming that this discussion was you and your wife. I don't know if there was anybody else in there. So what what factored into deciding we're going to pursue crowdfunding as opposed to what were your other options? Where, what were you discussing as, as potential sure. places where you could put this book or, in, or sure. any book for that matter? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, like just, uh, just to be frank, um, we spent the better part of a decade uh, living out here on the West coast uh, in Portland. And, um, we spent the better part of a decade just working our butts off, trying to break through the castle that is mainstream comics. Uh, you know, we were doing, we were doing everything on the periphery, you know, that uh, young up and coming creators do to slowly work their way in little by little. We right. were, we were doing flats for, you know, X person, X publisher. We were doing lettering. We were, uh, submitting in, you know, uh, pitches at least two or three times a year, sometimes four. And the closest that we ever got was we were in active talks with Arkea 
uh, they publish uh, all the mouse guard stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we were in active talks with them about samurai and dinosaurs. Uh, but unfortunately, the timing of that was around that time is when Boom bought them. And when Boom bought them, uh, everything kind of... It's, it's what happens whenever there's a merger or a buyout. Like, everything that's in process kind of gets, like, slammed against a wall. Um, so we were doing this for about a decade and, you know, the, I guess the breaking point for us was we took a meeting with a publisher that's based out here and the, the meeting itself went pretty bad. Um, you know, there were, there were some low ball offers in terms of payment to work on like, you know, one or two of their properties and, um, yeah, the the famous quote that I always say is like, as soon as we got into the office and the door closed, uh, he when we sat down, he said, "None of us are doing this to get rich." And I don't know it. At at the time, at the time, like I was so indoctrinated in the starving artist thing that I was like, "Yeah, none of us are doing this to get rich. Like, I'll I'll, I'll do anything. I'll take anything that you offer me." In my head, right. Um. But on the drive home, it was that like creeping realization thing of like, no, I'm doing this to get rich. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I, I care about the art. You know, I, I love these books dearly. Um, and I want something that's going to last past me when I'm gone. But right. I want to make a living. Um, so that that was the night, you know, we got home and um, we were we were watching a bunch of we were watching Ethan Van Skyver and a bunch of other people hang out on a stream. And, you know, like I'm watching, uh, Selena and our then infant son, uh, he's two now. Um, they're napping on the couch next to me. And I just had this moment of like, what are we doing? That whole thing of like, why are you trying to get into the party if the party doesn't want you in? Right. So that was the point. That was the point where we talked and we were like, okay, like, look, um, we can keep banging our head against the wall and not making progress and, you know, just doing freelance work for various clients that have nothing to do with comics. Um, or we can take this plunge and actually do what we want to be doing, uh, it, you know, just without, the, I guess, the approval of the mainstream industry. Right. Now, is the is the fact that you guys are in Portland, is that making any kind of a difference in terms of the reception to some of your projects? Because Portland right now seems to be part A, part B of ground zero of, of stuff that's going on. I mean, hopefully you guys are staying safe. Yeah, yeah uh, it's been um, it, it's been an interesting year, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're um, we're. I mean, without doxing myself, like we're far enough outside the city that all the protests and rioting and stuff like doesn't really affect us. Right. Um, but, but in terms of but in terms of cultural impact, I mean, Portland seems to be that that enclave of a particular mindset ideology. And I don't know. I, I don't know if there's some maybe guilt by association. Oh, you're from Portland, you know that kind of thing. I don't know if you run into any of that 
Yeah. Is, is that ever a concern? Have you guys talked about leaving Portland and going someplace else? I mean, you guys are from are originally from the Midwest, or did you just go to Chicago for school? No, no, no. Uh, we're we were both born and raised in Chicago. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like at the time we were, I believe, twenty four. So yeah, like our entire lives were based in Chicago. Um, yeah. I mean, look, we were. We were quite happy in Portland, I'd say, up until about 2013-ish. And that's when you started to see a lot of uh, cultural stuff start to shift, you know, kind of people's mentality, uh, you know, like people's attitudes, demeanors, the the way you would interact with, you know, people at shops or at conventions or at signings and stuff like that. Like, that's really 2013, 2014-ish is when you started to see that shift. And... Uh, you know, at, at first it was this thing of like, we could deal with it because we, we genuinely loved living here. I mean, the, the cost of living hadn't skyrocketed yet because the California exodus hadn't happened. Right. And it was just, you know, a, a beautiful environment, like the hills, the trees, uh, it was great. But yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, like these days we are, we are most definitely actively planning on moving. Um, I don't know that we're necessarily going to end up back in the Midwest. Um, but no, like within the next two years, we're going to be getting out of here. Um, well, and I would imagine now being being self-published with some of this stuff, I mean, you could take it anywhere and, and okay. you're not dependent on uh, a connection to a publisher like Boom or uh, Alt, yeah. you know, wherever else. I don't know. What else is up there? Boom's up there? Um, well, IDW? Boom Boom is in California. IDW is in California, but they opened up a satellite office here in Portland. Okay. Um you've got you've got Dark Horse Images based here now. Um yeah, like exactly like when we moved out here, I mean the, the the very concept of making comics was radically different from what it is now. So our thinking was like okay, we either go to the West Coast or we go to New York and you know do the thing of like bang on DC or Marvel's door every day. Uh, and then and DC we, moved to LA. And then DC <laughs> moved to LA, so it didn't matter anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we chose the West Coast, and you know, like we 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 would take meetings, like I said, the whole thing, like sending in pitches. Um, but yeah, like these days, especially especially now that we're not pursuing work in the mainstream, I mean, it it really doesn't matter where we live. Uh, so you know, we're kind of taking that into consideration and just for the first time, I think in our lives, looking at it in terms of like, where do we want to be? Yeah. There was a point in my life when I had been, you know, had been working for others, had been pursuing other goals. And at, at one point, it, you know, the decision was kind of forced on me whether or not it was going to be self-employed or, or try to do something else. Mm-hmm. That is not an easy decision to make, I know. Mentally and emotionally, you sit there and you go, oh, there's this really short limb, and it's very tiny, and I'm about to walk out on, onto the edge. Exactly. How, how much <clears throat> of a challenge, when you guys first started looking at this, I mean, because we get into comics, you've got, like you, you mentioned, you've got DC, you've got Marvel, you've got Image, you've got IDW, you've got Dark Horse. Now, suddenly, those are off the table-ish, Ish. does the does the liberation of 
self-publishing and do-it-yourself counteract the disappointment that these these are now I'm not even going to bother with them because it's a waste of my time was there was there any of that in that process is there is there regret at all or are you guys in a pretty good place now because we've done you know because you've done five campaigns now yeah you know you seem to be set in a in a routine you, you I would imagine that you've kind of got some stuff figured out you've you've learned through the process Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely it was definitely a learning experience. Um, you know, the we we fulfilled Samurai was our first project. Um, the Gods Fear Me is hopefully going to be in fulfillment by November, December. Uh, we'll see. Like there were a couple of production delays there. Um, y- yeah, like, you know, it was. We, we definitely lost contacts. Uh, we lost a couple of friends along the way uh, when we made this decision. And, you know, like I, I, I've said this before, like w- growing up, like going back to the whole Superman thing, like one of like my uh, creative goals in life was uh, to write Superman in some format, be it for the comics or uh, like working on an animated script, uh, any, anything in that capacity. Um, like he, he was my favorite character as a kid and so much about the DC universe and Superman specifically influenced me creatively to get me to where I am now. So there was that disappointment. Um, but you know, like living and working here for 10 years, and then the past two years, like, you know, getting in uh, and becoming friendly with some of the people that we have over the past two years, it's it really is kind of that, you know, how the hot dogs are made situation. Right. It's like, sure, I, I'd love to write, you know, like Superman, you know, uh, colon uh, up, up and away. Like, I'd love to do that. But the price tag attached to it is pretty steep in terms of the way that you have to behave, uh, the payment that you have to be willing to accept uh, or lack of payment, um, uh, the personality clashes, uh, how many how many steps there are in terms of editorial control between what you want to write and what actually ends up printed in the book. Um, knowing what I know now, it's like, okay, like that was that was a dream, but it was an idealized dream and it wasn't actually what would have happened. So, right. so now we're in a place where it's like, okay, like that may have been something that was on the list, but what we've replaced it with is um, a growing fan base that is actually into what we're doing. And, you know, uh, the ability to actually tell stories for the first time in more than a decade now, you know, without having to just, put together a pitch and a couple pages of art and hope that someone else will like help us make these things a reality. Well, and, and really to be fair though, the, the indie, the indie scene, especially with the crowdfunding, you're still essentially putting out a pitch and hoping that you get enough support because you know, as, as Indiegogo works, you get, you know, you get to keep whatever it is you make, but Mm -hmm. if you don't make your goal, now you've got to make adjustments. And, you're still looking for that, um, 
I don't want to say validation, but you want to you want to see you you still have to sell something and somebody buys into the idea, not necessarily from a standpoint of a of a product transaction, but you've still got to convince people this is an idea you should be interested in it take take a look and buy my book. So so how different has it been for you in making those pitches for an audience as opposed to pitches for an editor? How much adjustments have you had to make on that front? Sure, sure. And that's a valid point. And, and you're, you're right. Like we are still ultimately pitching. Um, but the great thing is it's directly to our customers now. And um, I don't want to say it was a huge shift. It was mostly when you send a pitch to a publisher, it's very, it's very cold. Um, you know, like you want to communicate the, the emotion and the excitement of the project, but at the same time, there's, it's, it's business. Like it's, it's listing, like, this is going to be a four issue miniseries. Uh, you know, it will, it will involve, you know, this person as writer, this person as editor and artist, blah, 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 blah. Right. So it, it's, it, it's cold and it's distant and it's it's a pitch that you know more likely than not no one's gonna ever actually read um like walking through some of the offices that i've walked through i'm like oh that's where that's where what i sent to you goes when i actually when it actually gets there uh that's a big pile of stuff that no one's ever gonna look through ever right um but you know now it's it's as simple as like, okay, like let's hire an artist. Let's commission him for a couple pages. Um, you know, like sign him up to a, a, a freelance contract. And, you know, now instead of this cold document that no one's going to read, uh, I take a day or two and I put together an exciting like sizzle reel or trailer that's really going to communicate to the the readers themselves. Like, Hey, if you're willing to invest in us and help us build our company, uh, this is the cool story that we're going to give you in return. When you look for the creative team, when you're looking for artists, you're looking for colorists, what's, what's your criteria? Are you, are you looking for anything in particular in terms of the needs of the project? You want to work with people that have a track record? Are you open to newbies? How, how do you pick who's going to work on, on the next book? Sure. It's, it varies from project to project, but it's, it's also all of that stuff. So with the gods fear me, for example, um, I knew specifically that I wanted Kristen Rossi to draw it. Um, I didn't know if that was a possibility or not. You know, he, he's done work for Alterna. Uh, he's done work for European publishers. And uh, he kind of uh, mentored under Eduardo Risso, who drew uh, 100 Bullets. And just, I, I love the dude's work, his style. Like, he's, he's got this European thing going for him. You know, obviously, there's a bit of Risso's influence in there. Um, so, you know, I, I reached out to uh, Peter Samedi, who runs Alterna, and he was like, oh, yeah, Kristen's always, you know, so he kind of put us in touch, and I just kind of, you know, my my second project, like, lucked into exactly the artist that I wanted. Um, but with Deepwell, 
there were two other artists before Raphael that we had lined up who had to step away because of scheduling issues. And it was, it was at the point where, you know, it was that thing of like, I think we're going to have to push this back a few months. Like I just, you know, two artists in a row that I really wanted on the book, you know, had to step away. And I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't have without them, I didn't have a vision in my head for the book. Right. Um, but then one day I was just doing random searches for Western comic art, uh, you know, across all the usual platforms like, you know, uh, DeviantArt, um, uh, Indie, uh, Indiegogo, uh, Instagram. And I think it was on Instagram. Uh, I stumbled onto Raphael and, you know, he, he's working in his spare time on this, uh, weird European Western influenced comic. It's just kind of like a passion project for him. And there was something in the art there that connected with me. And, you know, originally in my head, I saw Deepwell as very Western. And when I say Western, I mean, in terms of style and approach. As opposed um, to like Japanese anime Asian well, influence, European. Well, sure, but when Raphael came on, he he took it and it went from being a a western to a spaghetti western, uh, just because of his approach, right? And that kind of unlocked a whole bunch of other stuff in my head that I I hadn't even thought of for the book. And you know, like we got along great. You know, I hired him to do a, a Lone Ranger commission. And he knocked that out of the park. And I'm like, all right, you're the guy. And, you know, we were off and running from there. So it's, you know, like it's one part planning, but it's also keeping yourself open for when stuff goes wrong and it will. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we just kind of try to be open when it comes to looking for new people to work with. There's uh, there are there are some things I saw somebody. Somebody had mentioned, and I don't remember where it was, uh, on a stream where there was a book. Uh, there was a book that was getting done, and it got delayed. And somebody brought in. I think maybe, I think maybe Nasser was involved. I'm not sure. It had something to do with a, a now a dispute over ownership. Yeah, that yeah, that's probably Nasser and Donald with uh, Brutus. Okay. Is, is that ever a concern for you when you're bringing on people? Because this is your idea. This is your baby. Mm -hmm. Are, are you making it clear at the beginning of the understanding that Mike owns it and you work for Mike as an artist, or are you looking for those collaborative, we can share ownership of IP. Does it depend on the project or are you wanting to keep everything in house? So, you know, the, the way, the way that we work is we make it clear when we bring on someone that they are doing work for hire. Um, we're open to the idea of like a, a, a deeper collaboration where, you know, like you would have partial ownership of this, but I mean, especially at least in, in these early years of what we're all building, um, artists got to eat. So, <laughs> you know, like I can't, it's tough to say, sure, you can 
you can have partial ownership, but I need a way lower page rate, you, you yeah. know, like that, that's tough. Um, but you know, what I do say is like, Hey, look, um, you know, the, here are these benchmarks. If the project makes X amount, you'll get this bonus, you'll get this bonus. Um, and if by some miracle, there's like talks of optioning like X number of years down the road, obviously at that point we can negotiate something between us that's fair to both parties. Um, but in terms of just the production of the book, it's, I'm giving you a page rate, you're producing the work. And if, you know, your work leads to the book earning X amount of money, you will get like X number of bonuses. Having, having looked at all of this from the outside, I hear, I hear a lot of talk about page rates being, being the thing and, you know, artists, artists getting paid that, that seems to come up a lot yep. in terms of, uh, we're looking at some of the stuff, you know, some of the discussion about what Marvel pays, uh, there was a there's there's been a, a work for hire contract that's been floating around from some some group and I don't remember the name of the company now but there's some outlandishly wild criteria in here you know if 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 COVID lasts X a number of times we you know we reduce your rate by fifty percent well like, you can't you can't do that kind of thing what where right. where is all of that coming from so ballpark it for me i don't i don't want to look for exact numbers and and get into your business but what is the what's the going rate among the indie group because all of you guys are are talking to each other i would assume or yeah. at least some of you are is there an average page rate that you guys have kind of settled into because a lot of you guys are now in your third fourth fifth book mm -hmm. has there been uh, uh, best practices as far as like figuring out what the market will bear at this point? Um, well, I mean, our approach, especially since we're still growing our name and our catalog and our audience, our approach is we set all of our campaigns at a firm $6,000. Um, half of that covers production fees. So that includes the artist and their page rate. That includes like if the book is full color, like uh, the gods fear me and deep well, I'm coloring. So, uh, you know, there's some set away in that so that I can at least have X amount of money while I'm not doing my freelance work and I'm doing this coloring instead. Right. Um, and then the other 3000 covers production. So uh, if we need to bring in someone to help with the uh, pre-press files, um, you know, like getting the book out to the printer, paying for the printing, and then, you know, paying to have it shipped to us, and then the shipping for us sending it out to the backers. So, you know, we make sure what whoever we hire, whatever their rate is, uh, we make sure and in some cases we negotiate, um, you know, like, like if an artist's page rate is a little bit higher than what we can afford to keep it within that 6000. Um, <clears throat> I'll say, okay, well, how about if we make it to eight or 10,000, you'll get this initial bonus, which will be the, the back end of, you know, like what we deducted from your normal page rate. So you'll get that back. Um, that's usually how we play it. There's, there is a consensus 
you know, be it like strictly indie or CG or like whatever the scene is there, there's a consensus that like for an artist, like your starting range should be at least around a hundred bucks per page. Um, sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's way more, you know, depending on the artist that you're working with, if they can pull in the, the audience. Right. Um, but yeah, like that's kind of the starting point. And it, like, um, th this isn't anything that I, I haven't said before. Like, if you want to talk about like, you know, mainstream industry horror stories. Um, so that meeting that we took, like, I, I won't say the publisher and go into like more of the things that I've gone into before, but you know, like there was an offer on the table to write, like I, it, it would have probably been like a standalone or a one shot um, of a very, very popular franchise mm -hmm. that is decades and decades old. Um, and writers get it worse than artists in some cases. Like, I there was a rough offer of about 300 to 350 to write a 32 page book. And like I said, that was the breaking point for me. I'm like, so I'm going to spend the better part of a month working on this script for this big franchise. And at the end of it, I'm not even going to have enough to like cover my bills for the month. Um, wow. No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> if, if this is what the mainstream is, I'm, I'll go hang out with these guys who are actually doing what they want to do with their careers. Hey, you mentioned Ethan. You mentioned CG, Comicsgate. And I want to circle back because you mentioned when you guys launched out on your own, you mentioned some personality conflicts, uh, losing some friends over some of the decisions that you've made. Has that been uh, kind of an outlier at this point? Or hey, did you experience a lot of pushback, a lot of blowback, when you decided, okay, we're done, we're done with these publishers over here. We're going to go out on our own and maybe not necessarily comics gate, anti-comics gate, but indie versus traditional publishing. Where, where was the pushback from when you, when you experienced any of that? Um, I mean, pretty much from pretty much from the get go. So, you know, like in, in terms of comics gate, I'd been paying attention to it since before it was actually comics gate, you know, like the early days of, you know, diversity in comics, the early days of Ethan with his channel, uh, when it was mostly art tutorials and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, I watched this whole thing grow from those early days to what it is now. And, you know, that, that difficult decision, that my wife and I had to make was like, Hey, like not a hundred percent, but let's say 75 to 85%, like the stuff that's is being talked about and discussed, we agree with, um, you know, we kind of spent the better part of our adult lives trying not to rock the boat, trying not to be too controversial, uh, just trying to get by and especially, you know, like I said, around 2013, 2014 and in, in the Portland scene specifically when things started getting weird. Yeah. Um, you know, we went out of our way not to, you know, uh, to just get by uh, with some of the stuff that was happening, happening here socially and politically. And, you know, like 
we were like, okay, you know, we don't want to work in the mainstream anymore. And we see this movement that's happening and we see that there's a connection happening, not just with professionals, but the readers, um, the readers that are saying, Hey, we don't want this product. We want this product. You know, we're capable of producing that product and it's what we want to be producing anyway. Sure. So when we jumped head first and said, okay, this is us. And we started using, using the hashtag and, you know, getting to know personalities and trying to like set up live streams and stuff. Um, the blowback was almost instantaneous um, on a professional level. Uh, we both lost all of our contacts that we had built up. Um, like people at ed editors, other artists, other writers, um, they, they all blocked us across social media. We had no way to contact them ever again. And the heaviest was uh, three, three people who had been friends with us ranging from a decade to 20 plus years wow. uh, all cut us out of their lives. Just over this one decision. Just, yeah. And uh, just, just over a hashtag and you know, like it's not even, it's not even political differences. Cause you know, like I tried meeting up with one of the people in particular and uh, we sat down with coffee about a year after they cut us out. And I was like, look, man, like you realize like we're still the same people. Like uh, we still like have the same thoughts that you do. Like we still believe the same things that you do. And even if we didn't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And if this is purely just a thing of, you don't want us bringing what you think is comics gate to the dinner table, so to speak. I mean, we don't have to talk about work stuff. Like we can still just be this kind of, you know, rough family unit that we had built up over the past 10 years or so. And um, no, it just, that, that wasn't in the cards. Like uh, anything connected to CG, anything connected to you know certain personality types like like ethan um it was just well like if if that's where you're at in life if if that's who you're associating with we're not associating with you there's a lot of chatter and and twitter comics twitter is is pretty bad about this but i see a lot of times and it cycles through it's not a constant thing but every now and again you see something uh, where Comicsgate is called a hate group, and there's behavior that sure. probably is less than stellar mm -hmm. on the part of certain people that are in the movement, and and you've seen, you know, we've seen uh, divisions, and uh, the 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 knives and spears have come out among Comicsgate of the various different factions and and groups as they're trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So for, for you and your impression of the movement, how do you define, because Comics, Comicsgate is this really broad label. Everybody likes to sling it around, and it means different things to different people. So how are you applying it as it comes to your work, and 
how much of a determining factor is it when you're looking at other projects to get involved in or other people to network with? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a litmus test now for you, or is it just another way to market your work? Um, okay, uh, I'll start there and work my way back. Um, so in terms of working with people, it's not this thing where it's not like a witch trial where we're like, are you comics gate? If you're not, we can't work with you. <laughs> um, you know, like to, to be honest, I mean, um, well, okay, let's start with samurai and dinosaurs. Um, uh, so the artist on samurai and dinosaurs, Sergio Calve, uh, he, while well, he lives in Spain and we've never met him, um, he was a friend for, since back when I was in college, uh, we met on Mark Miller's message board, which just the idea of message message boards should tell you how long ago <laughs> this was. Um, you know, Sergio was my guy and we worked on a lot of books together. <clears throat> some that we fully fleshed out and realized some that were just pitches. Um, Sergio was one of the ones professionally that stepped away from us. Um, you know, he really wasn't happy about samurai being a quote unquote comic skate book. Uh, so that kind of put an end to our working relationship. Um, and like for the, for the sake of clarity, for anyone that's not sure, um, samurai was a book that was done and completed before comic skate even existed. Sure. Uh, it was a book, you know, that we had produced, like I said, for, you know, submission and Archaea was going to pick it up. Um, and heading into CG, I was like, okay, well, we don't have the resources to hire an artist from scratch to do something new. Um, what do we have pre-existing that we could, you know, kind of make an opening impression with? And Samurai seemed to make the most sense. Um, so that was the price tag attached to Samurai. And with um, the Gods Fear Me and Deepwell, both Kristen and uh, Raphael, they're, they're not CG. Um, they, they don't have a problem with Comicsgate, but they're not CG. They're just, they're freelance artists. And, you know, I make it clear. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm CG. The book's probably going to be promoted through CG channels. Like, is that okay with you? Um, because I never, ever want a repeat of what happened with Sergio. Right. So, yeah, there's no real litmus test when it comes with to who we're willing to work with. It's more a case of like, are you willing to work with us? Because uh, I love the hell out of your art and I would like to be able to, you know, give you a nice payday. Um, and I think, you know, I, th- I think people like us as people, which helps. Uh, but the other main thing is, you know, like you're talking about freelance artists who have to and again, you know, it's it's my day job too so i know what it is you really got to hustle to make a living working freelance yeah um so i think the the promise of like hey you're going to get a really decent payday if uh you're willing to work with us i i think that helps grease the wheels too now we had uh the thing with uh tom king calling out jay lee right and jay comes on uh, Instagram with this post that basically says, I'm not part of any group. I just right. want to, I just want to draw. I just want to draw pictures. And 
I would imagine he's probably not the only one that's been caught up in the middle of the drama, whether he wanted to be or not. Have you mm-hmm. had have you had people on either side of this basically sitting there going, you know, Mike, I'd love to work with you, but I don't want to get dragged into the fight. I just wanna I just wanna write comics, I just wanna draw comics, but there's too much drama between comics gate and anti comics gate. Mm-hmm. Have you had people that are resistant to that? Not necessarily <laughs> saying your comics get you're bad, right. but that drama. I don't want to have anything to do with it because I already I already went through junior high. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, believe me, it it does <laughs> it does feel like high school some days. It, right. I mean, how many how many Mean Girls explosions have we had? Right. Uh, over all of this, and not not necessarily just on the anti comic skate side, but you know the backbiting between the groups. I mean, sure. the whole the whole thing with War Campaign and and Mike S. Right. Miller and Nasser and and Doug Tenapel. I mean, everybody's going after each other as this movement, you know, mm-hmm. bubbles and and toils and boils, and and now suddenly everybody's everybody's doing their own thing and they're fighting each other instead of deciding on this is what we want to do. I want to make good books. I want to make stuff that people are going to like and it's entertaining. Sure. But you're doing it wrong. I mean, it, it seems a little counterproductive to me. I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. Um, I'm not going to say that Comicsgate is family because it's not, but <laughs> it's definitely that thing of like, look, there's when you have as large of a network as this has kind of become, um you're going to kind of have personality clashes in some cases ego clashes um cg to me is an opportunity to connect with new readers and existing readers who have maybe become disenfranchised you know like there's I, I know, you know, someone like an Ethan or someone like, you know, uh, your boy will focus on what they believe to be the main driving factors for what's wrong with comics. Um, and I don't I don't disagree with them, but that's that's not where I make my stand. I make my stand at like, OK, if we are just looking at this in terms of business, there is a product that a percentage of the audience wants that they feel they are not being serviced by or right. getting you know they're not getting it that that to me is where i'm standing in cg i i don't care about the personality clashes i don't i don't care about who likes me or who doesn't like me i i want people to like me i want people to like selena my wife and i especially want them to like the products that we're making but you know, if it can be at all helped, uh, I try not to wade in too deep with some of those clashes that pop up. And I know, you know, for some people on the outside looking in, you know, they see the, these things flare up about once a year and they're like, oh, I'm staying away from that. And I get it, you know, to your point, the whole mean girls thing. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as the audience is there, and the opportunity to produce work that's actually creative fulfilling is there. 
uh, CG is ultimately worth it to me. And I get the feeling based on the feedback that I've gotten from other, other creators and some of our readers and backers that they kind of feel the same way. Um, you know, those, those flare ups are un unfortunate. Um, but, but like, you know, Kelsey Shannon has said, um, like I, I had him on my channel a couple weeks ago and we were talking about all this. Um, you know, he said like, I'm not here to pick sides. I'm just here to make comics. Right. Like, that's that's kind of where we're at you know like I, i'm not saying we're not necessarily trying to play switzerland um but we've we've done pretty good about just being calm rational adults and i think that's why people connect with us and we're starting to see in terms of the the traditional publishing side of things we're starting to see creators like scott snyder like sean gordon murphy dip their toes in the water in terms of crowdfunding. Um, Dynamite and Boom Studios have both done it a little bit as publishers. Is crowdfunding... How, how, how best to ask this? Because we've talked about it here. The question is, how sustainable of a model is this yes you've got you've got a number of you as creators who have done multiple books you know brian polito has been doing it for a long time yeah you know billy tucci's got a few adam post has a few you've done five uh ethan's done a few now clint is on his third i think third, uh, third yeah, book yeah. with fatal mm -hmm. and as as you go through this and you have more books under your belts and everybody is is doing this how long do you see this lasting before the bubble pops i mean i've i've thought about that you know like um i mean when you're in business you you kind of have to think about these things right, right. like is is this a bubble or is this a sustainable new industry in and of itself mm -hmm. <clears throat> um i like to think that as long as the audience continues to grow and you know like the larger channels creators you know they are definitely helping to grow that i mean if it wasn't for people like ethan like John Malin, you know, like some of the the bigger crowdfunding people out there. If it wasn't for them pulling in some of the numbers that they were pulling in, there wouldn't be that kind of I I, I hate terms like trickle down economics, but it is what it is. Like the more people that come into the the industry, and mm -hmm. it's mostly because of those books, the more chance there is for them to see something else on Indiegogo and go like, oh, that looks cool. Um I like to think that as long as that remains the case, as long as there are new people going like, I heard about X project and it looks really cool. I'm going to back it. Oh, and now look, there's this cool thing too. Um, I like to think that it'll be sustainable for the foreseeable future. But, you know, I mean, just like we kind of had to reevaluate with, you know, mainstream comics, like if there comes a time where this isn't sustainable, well, then you know, it's kind of the evolve or die situation of like, all right, well, we're going to have to figure out some other avenue to, you know, get our stories in front of readers. Right. But, um, 
no i mean you know like i've i've heard the plans from some people like you know where they see themselves and you know crowdfunding and cg and all that over the next two three four years and i'm not going anywhere they're not going anywhere and as long as our audience is happy to you know keep investing in these stories we're happy to keep producing it for them you know uh sci-fi snob in the chat hello sir uh he says that's my attitude i just want to see good comics uh, I was exposed to most other comics through Ethan. Now, let me let me ask you this though the the crowdfunding model, as it is now, a lot of people have made the comparison to what happened when Image broke sure. out and started. And you know, the do you see this as a paradigm shift in the industry, or is this just a another thing to try for a while how how much do you think this is actually going to change how comics are done <clears throat> as a whole i mean we're still going to have the the main publishers doing their thing sure. you know marvel's going to continue to do 6000 variant covers and and mm -hmm. 12 events a year and and mm -hmm. all new number ones every 3 months but do you see the the possibility here that the indie scene and the crowdfunding model is going to have any kind of an influence on what the mainstream publishers do in terms of the kind of stories they do? Are we going to see that? I don't know about from the mainstream publishers. I mean, you know, some of the smaller mid-tier publishers, I mean, we're already seeing that, you know, with uh, the the Keanu deal with Boom on Kickstarter. Right. Um, but, you know, like, I don't think there's going to be a day where uh, you're going to see like a Marvel project on Indiegogo or Kickstarter. You know, I, I don't think we're ever going to see that. Um, but I, I think the business practices are certainly going to have an effect on the mainstream. And I think they already are. Um, you know, whenever, whenever someone like an, an Ethan or whoever uh, says like the mainstream is kind of, scared of what's happening they they genuinely are because what it is is it's showing artists writers all the creative types working in comics at very very low wages uh you don't have to do that right uh you know we're not saying that this is necessarily a business model that's going to be set in place for like 100 plus years like the mainstream industry is but at this point in time, like you don't have to be doing what you're doing. Um, I think, I think it's a paradigm shift, but at the same time, I think the, you know, from the other direction, you know, with, with us, the, the crowdfunding creators, I think what you're going to see is uh, a tiered progression where it's like, okay, the the reason <clears throat> most crowdfunding books cost what they cost like we do 32 page books at $15 each uh the standard is kind of you know 48 pages for 25 bucks right the reason that that's the price point is because for many if not all of us we are new creators looking to build up our company so you know like readers aren't just readers they're literally financial backers you know, they are, they are helping us to build a company. Um, and I think most backers and readers understand that going in when they, when they pick up a book. Um, 
I think what you're going to see from us is like, okay, we have that first wave, that first wave that's like expensive premium tier product. Uh, but then you're going to get uh, the second wave, which is like second printings, you know, nice covers, but not as expensively produced as the first wave. And then you're going to get the mass media stuff, which is digital and, you know, floppies or maybe even newsprint in some cases. Um, and I think once people in the mainstream and the mainstream industry itself sees like, hey, like this is just part of our plan. Like there's the premium version and then all these other versions of the same product that all build revenue for us and are all different models uh, and purchasing points for all different types of readers out there. I think that's when the mainstream industry is going to start realizing like, oh, okay, like this is a whole thing that they've set up. That's 100% different from what we're doing. And it's sustainable in a way that what we're doing isn't anymore. Right now, uh, a sci-fi snob in the chat says, I don't know if crowdfunding is a shift, but mainstream is dying. I don't see how mainstream can grow the present comic book shop model. Mm -hmm. Now that's the other thing real quick. As, as we wrap up here, are you, uh, seeing any kind of potential in getting the crowdfunded books mm -hmm. into comic shops. I've seen a couple of projects where they have a retailer tier, for example, right. Right. Uh, but I don't see very much in the way of review copies for media. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and in terms of getting your books out on the shelves, I mean, um, uh, Clint's got Downcast going to Alterna uh, right. this month. D is that a potential avenue for some of this as well? H have you guys talked internally, uh, you know, amongst yourselves and the creators sitting there saying Alterna's a, pro uh, a possibility, Vault, Aftershock, um, Antarctic? Yeah, right. are though is there potential for getting these crowdfunded books? further out into shops or maybe on comiXology or, or something like that? Sure. I mean, and yeah, uh, uh, I'll try to keep this short. Um, sure. Like one of the, one of the main things that I always want to make clear is just because I work under the umbrella that is ComicsGate doesn't mean that I have a problem with comic shops per se. Uh, my problem with the mainstream industry is the mainstream industry. Yeah. You know, the, the business practices of the publishers, the business practices of diamond uh, in particular diamond. Um, if anything, like I really do spend a lot of time feeling bad for retailers, like, especially, you know, here in Portland, we are, my wife and I are close friends with a couple of store owners uh, so I see firsthand kind of what these business practices result in. Um, we had a retailer tier on the God's Fear Me. And one per one person took us up on it. So you could argue we, we need to try harder reaching out to stores. But I mean, I can send I can send emails. But past that, like if no one decides to reach out, you know, back to me, like I can't do much about that. Sure. But, you know, you brought up Alterna. And one of the things that Peter's doing is setting up his own distribution system, which is crazy and ambitious. And 
yeah, that's definitely a, a venue that we're interested in over the next four or five years, you know, like, like I said, with the different level of, you know, versions of our products, like when it gets to the point where we're looking at newsprint or just standard editions of our books. Yeah, I have no problem like getting our stuff into comic shops. I mean, the entire point of this is to get as many people reading the books as possible. The, the problem is that Diamond, Marvel, DC, some of these entities are kind of throttling and restricting what can be presented to readers and how it's presented to them. Like the entire point is they're not allowing for this stuff to be put in front of viewers' eyes. Um, so hopefully stuff that Peter's doing, stuff that other people are doing behind the scenes can kind of change this over the next couple of years because I really don't like the idea of seeing more shops close than have already closed. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the real shame of it is that, you know, the, the, the retailers are getting hurt more than anybody else on this because, you know, DC and Marvel, they've got their plans for digital as far as the worldwide market and stuff, but that doesn't really help your, your mom and pop comic book shops. Right. So the alternative there is diversify your product or don't sell anything at all and you just close your doors. So hopefully, exactly. hopefully there's some relief there. But let me, uh, let me go in here and we'll show this uh, real quick uh, one more time. Deepwell, the caliber of death. Now this one is in demand for how much longer? Probably until November or December. Uh, Raphael is really tearing through the pages, so. We, you know, our estimate for shipping is February. Uh, we might exceed that actually at the rate that he's going. Okay. And then what's next? The, the horror thing or have you got something else that's brewing? So, yeah, um, I've made a couple tweets for it, but we don't have a, um, a sign up page set up yet for it. That'll be in November. Um, our next book is going to be called The Red Key. And The Red Key is my big superhero epic that I've kind of been building up in my head basically over the course of my entire life. Um, it's, it's everything that I like about the genre and it's with a completely unique and new character that I haven't quite seen from most of what's come out through the mainstream. And um, yeah, like it's, it's going to be big. So uh, people can follow me on Twitter if they want to get early, you know, teases of that. And in November, we will be setting up uh, a sign up page for when we go live in, uh, I believe, February. All right. And the Twitter handle Chibi underscore Mike. That's me. And we have put the the link to the Indiegogo campaign in the uh, in the the show notes here. So uh, good luck with that and, and continued success. Hopefully everything works out well for you, whether, whether you stay in Comicsgate or not and, and, and sling those labels around. Uh, but check that go. out. And uh, then we'll see what happens after that, right? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, like, uh, thanks so much for all that. And yeah. yeah, again, I was happy to be on and we're just we're going to keep doing what we're doing. All right. Mike Murphy of Chibi Comics. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you. And thank all of you for being here today. Those of you in the chat and uh, feel free to uh, to check that out. Also, remember, we do have the uh, 
discount code set up over at SuperheroStuff.com. 10% off when you use the promo code SciFiForMe10. Next week, we will do it all again with a number of guests. We almost have a full week of guests lined up for next week. It's actually coming together, so we will have that. And, of course, we will have the latest news headlines in science fiction, fantasy, and horror on Saturday morning for uh, Good Morning Multiverse. That's at Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central. And uh, it's mostly a bye week this week because it's the fifth week. So no tartar sauce, no uh, no uh, triple bites or, or anything like that. We're, we're, kind of, we're kind of quiet this week. But we will be back uh, next week with a full schedule. And uh, thank you for watching. Those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, don't forget we do broadcast live Monday through Thursday on our YouTube channel, and you can join us there. Feedback, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com or leave a comment, and we will do this all again next week. Thanks for being here. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.